Empire. Welcome to In the Clubhouse with the Nats Report, a podcast about Washington Nationals and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Richard. Well, opening night is just days away, and I have you covered. In this episode, I sit down with good friend Byron Kerr, and we talk all about the upcoming season and some of the interesting observations about the pitching staff and the infield. This is a special opening night edition of In the Clubhouse, so let's go into the clubhouse. Hey, Byron. Thanks for joining the podcast again. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Richard. Thanks for having me. Of course. So let's get right to it. Opening day, two days away from when we're recording this podcast. Um, what, what's getting you excited about it? I mean, everybody's very excited, Richard. Uh, I think the thing I'm excited the most of is obviously getting to see fans back at Nats Park. It's going to be special, even though it's just 5,000 fans. Opening night's going to be special because the fans will be there. And I, I un, you know, they understand Fans understand that obviously eating and drinking at your seat is fine. Being back at Nats Park, I think, is going to be very special, for, even though it's only about a little over 10% of the capacity. And you're hoping that uh, by the next homestand that more fans will become available to go to games. And, you know, working uh, this week doing NFL stories, Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, is hoping that they'll have full stadiums by the fall in the NFL. So that's what we're all kind of hoping for as, as we get along. But that's the thing I, I'm most excited about is is getting fans back to at least watch the the team that won the 2019 World Series for them uh, at Nats Park. That's going to be special. Yeah, I wish I had tickets um, to opening night. I'll be kind of I'm kind of jealous. Um, what about from <laughs> <laughs> what about from a player perspective? Like you know, now the roster seems to be set. Open lineups sort of uh, kind of set. What are like what are you looking forward to just seeing? For the, from a player's perspective. Yeah, I mean, I was really impressed with the m- amount of power we saw in spring training from guys like Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber, even Ryan Zimmerman, who will be in a bench role uh, this season. Good to have him back in 2021. Also, it looked like it was a positive test to have Victor. I guess I shouldn't say positive test. That's probably <laughs> not something I should say in COVID-19. But it was a good practice to see Victor Robles as the leadoff hitter and for him to hit well from that leadoff spot, he looks, um, you know, like he's in great shape. He worked very hard, obviously, to build strength by making his upper body bigger in 2020. It looks like he slimmed down and has more flexibility this year. So the, seeing Victor Robles lead off and having Trey Turner move down a little bit, it's going to be huge for Davey Martinez, I think, in kind of evening out this lineup and getting guys on base in front of Kyle Schwarber and Josh Bell and, and guys like that. Juan Soto, we keep forgetting to talk about Juan Soto and how special uh, you know he's going to be this year. Not really worried about him scuffling a little bit in spring training. I think he's going to be fine. So though all those things are pretty special uh, for the Nationals offense, which I think is something that they certainly would like to have improved from what happened last year. Yeah, I'm actually really um, – I've been really impressed with uh, Josh Bell's power that he's like shown during um, spring training. I mean, I know, you know, people discount spring training as spring training, but he's been like not only hitting a lot of home runs, but I've seen a lot of hits to the opposite field, um, a lot of opposite field home runs. Like it, he, he looks like he's doing really well. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a, a great uh, example of what they're hoping for from Josh Bell. And, you know, he's a switch hitter as well, so he can do a lot of different things and can kind of be moved around the lineup if, if Davey Martinez wants to do that. But absolutely, that's kind of something that they were hoping to get from that first base spot from Eric Thames or for, you know, others like Howie Kendrick or Ryan Zimmerman over the years is get some power back at first base. And that's real crucial. And, you know, Kyle Schwarber as well in the outfield. So absolutely very nice to see him have a great spring and hopefully he can carry that on into this opening week. How do you think like the players are going to kind of make, keep that momentum going? Um, You can have like a break, obviously camp broke on Monday you have Tuesday, Wednesday off, Thursday night game, opposed to like an afternoon, uh, which is normally what happens uh, opening day is at least for Nats fans um, afternoon. So how do you think like the players kind of will keep that uh, positive momentum going? Yeah, I mean, that's what they're hoping for. At least the guys that are in a good rhythm at the plate. That's what spring training is all about is to get to that point where you feel like you're up and running as, uh, as you want to be at the beginning of the season. And, Davey Martinez talked about, you know, the fact that it was, what, 80 degrees in West Palm Beach and could be pretty cold on opening night, so they have to be careful with that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it seemed like the offense was in a nice rhythm. And, you know, I think the most important thing that I talked about on my podcast this year as well is that they need to try to get more production, not only from the top of the order. They got it from Trey Turner, obviously, and Juan Soto, but moving guys up like Victor Robles up to the top, but they also need to get some production from the bottom of the order. And it'll be interesting to see what Starlin Castro and what Josh Harrison can do. It seemed like Harrison was having a really good camp as well. And, you know, Jan Gomes, some guys that maybe be placed uh, in the five through eight holes and deciding, you know, where they're going to put them is, is going to be important as well for Davey. But, you know, you remember Richard, when the nationals are rolling in 16 and 17, in those years they made the postseason in 19, they were getting production from the entire lineup where it just always felt like the opposing pitchers like, oh, now another hitter for the Nationals. So that's what they're going for. And I don't know if they have that yet. And that's something that I'm going to be watching out for here in April. That's a great observation. Um, I also kind of felt like that was a little bit towards, um, you know, tw- in 2019 with the Nats, like it just kind of like that was a gauntlet of, of a lineup. Soto, Rendon, Kendrick, you know, like, you know, I feel like I, that you make a very good point about, you know, making, uh, making that lineup be extended. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you know what you're going to get, I guess, from Trey Turner and Juan Soto, and you're hoping you're knowing what you're going to get from Robles. Um, you know, even we had guys like what Michael A. Taylor and Kurt Suzuki and Azdrubal Cabrera and guys that, and, and, you know, Howie Kendrick obviously became a big star, but you know, who are those going to be those guys that are going to come up and get big hits who were not the normal stars, I mm-hmm. guess, is the big question coming into, you know, will the offense be able to, to uh, have that, that second wave that you uh, were alluding to in 2019? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, talking about stars, uh, let's maybe move to the the pitching mound. Um, obviously, we have Strasburg, um, Scherzer, Corbin, Lester now with the addition. Uh, and then I'm assuming Joe Ross is like the fifth starter. Yeah, and uh, I'm pretty excited. Washington City Paper has asked me to write a preview for the season, and uh, that uh, season preview will be about what I'm going to call them the big four. 
which is Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin, and John Lester, and whether or not, you know, can they be the big four uh, starting rotation for the Nationals? They do have Joe Ross as the number five, so much so that it looks like that battle for number five between Ross, Austin, Voth, and Eric Fetty, uh, you know, uh, is going to go to Ross, but Voth and Fetty are going to be in the in the uh, bullpen. So that's going to be key as well, because those guys can start in case a situation arises for Davey, whether it's a double header or whether he wants to go, you know, five or six sometimes during the week, if they have off days, who knows, but um, it looked like Max Scherzer was ready to go. Steven Strasburg had 98 pitch performance uh, against Houston this week. Patrick Corbin is adding uh, something else to his, uh, to his other pitches, his cutter and change more mixing that in, with his slider, because it seemed like he felt like everybody was kind of spitting on his slider a little bit. And John Lester, you know, coming off the beginning of camp where he had the the thyroid issue and they were wondering if he was going to be okay, he looked very strong as well. So that's where Mike Rizzo builds his strength in his team is with the starting pitching. And that's going to be the core of this team is to try to keep the scores down, get them to five or six and sometimes even seven innings. And if all goes well, Richard, that will be the reason why they will be successful is because those big four and Joe Ross, who could be the wild card, who could be positive. And, you know, he had to start a world series game for crying out loud a couple of yeah. years ago. And he's had a whole season off because of his opt out. So he should be good to go. It'd be interesting to see how they do. Cause that's supposed to be the strength of this team. I'm really excited to see Strasburg again on the mound, to be honest with you. Like I know you get amazing performance by uh, Max Scherzer every time, but I feel like Strasburg has really evolved as a pitcher and as a baseball player from like his early days um, of like, whenever he would get in trouble, he kind of got in his head a little bit and it would kind of like spiral out of control. Um, Like over the last two years, you've kind of seen that, um, evolution into a mature baseball player and more pitcher. Like, what are your observations watching him on a, you know, on a, on a daily basis nowadays? Yeah. I mean, it was always about that fastball at the beginning of his career and, and, and that he could, you know, get it by everyone. And, and as you said, he has evolved as a pitcher and, and uh, you know, the mental side of the game, you're right. He, it seems like he has matured a lot with that. And, you know, he lose, he uses that curveball a lot and uses his changeup which uh, is a faster changeup. It's almost the same speed as some, some starters fastballs. So, you know, he has a mix of different pitches that he uses now. And, you know, he can pitch backwards if he likes, if he, if he feels like, you know, an opposing hitter knows what he's going to do, he can do that. And so, um, you know, he was so important in that run as well in the world series as being the MVP because he didn't panic when he, when things, you know, maybe gave up a run or two early on and it doesn't seem like it phases him. Um, Whereas, as you said, you make a great point early on in his career, things would bother him, whether it was the mound, whether it was the fog, whether it was, you know, uh, something going on where he was irritated. Uh, now he doesn't seem to let the little things bother him. And he realizes that if even if he gives up a couple runs early in the game, he can still beat guys. And Grace, a great case in point, I think this week is that he didn't strike out anybody until the, the sixth inning. He had um, or the last inning and a half that he was in. He struck out the last three batters he faced. But before that, he hadn't struck out anybody, which was always seemed like to be the thing that he, he wanted to do. So, you know, if he can get guys out without striking out guys early in the game, and then, you know, eventually they just they can't keep up with him, 
I mean, that's going to be huge to see him. And he looks like he's healthy. So that's, that's a plus two for the Nats. Yeah. Talking about health. I feel like I want to wrap him in bubble wrap every single time he goes to the mound. What, like, what, what have you learned about all these? Like, I know it's so freaky, like these calf injuries, a lot of sprains, a lot of cramping. Have you like found out like what's, what are they putting the water, what what they put in the water (laughs) in Florida? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's always uh, you have to be careful with these guys because, you know, with Max hurting his ankle stuff, uh, you know, things like these things can happen. And, you know, especially with starting pitching, those guys are given 110%. So their exertion on every pitch, you know, it's a full body uh, motion where they get everything involved. And if there's something going wrong or something tightens up, whether it's a calf or they twist an ankle or something like that, it can be, it can mess up everything. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, the training staff, uh, Steven Strasberg talked about that this spring about how much he values the Nats training staff because he said one of his quotes was, they know my body better than <laughs> I do. And so they know, you know, by watching uh, in the way he throws the ball and the exertion he has to go through of what it's going to take to get ready for each of those uh, starts every five days and how, you know, they need to ramp themselves up to that point where they can go full exertion. And that's what Davey and, and, Jim Hickey have tried to do here in spring training is to ramp those guys up, but also it's being careful day to day that the training, the strength and conditioning, the stretching, a lot of the things that they do to get ready for each, each of these starts so that they don't have a lingering issue that hurts them and they can't get to 30 starts, which is what their, you know, what their goal is during the season. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about injuries is Sterling Castro. Like what's his deal? Is he going to be ready for third base? Yeah, I mean, it seems like from what we can hear, they had sim games, which we didn't get to see um, on Monday as well. Mm-hmm. Davey Martinez reported that Starlin Castro got five at-bats in the sim game. So did Juan Soto. He said that Juan Soto hit a homer in the sim game and that he wanted to go out and watch them run. They're having a workout at Nats Park this week before the first game against the Mets. So that will be another opportunity for Davey to see them run on the base paths, see how they're swinging the bats, see how they look. And he was optimistic, at least Monday, that Castro would be ready for opening day and so would Juan Soto. And they you know, want to be careful, but that's why they did the sim game to see if they, they could do it. And they did, so that's a good sign. And it'll be interesting to see, really, how he plays at third base because that is a big deal. You know, He doesn't have that much experience at third base. As a matter of fact, Josh Harrison actually has more games played at third than, than Starlin Castro. But Davey Martinez said... Uh, in the Zoom call with Jesse Doherty and the rest of the reporters that he liked the range of Josh Harrison at second base. So that's why they put Harrison at second to start the season and Castro at third. So it'll be uh, interesting to see, that, you know, how that works out. And I'm, I'm believing, uh, you know, they have a workout on Wednesday, but I'm believing that both those guys will be in the lineup on Thursday night. We'll put a pin on the third base situation. We'll come back to that. Just for – people that might not know, i.e. me, um, what, 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 does it, what does a sim game involve? Like, give a, you know, pull the curtain back a little bit. Well, I mean, it's, it's just uh, a lot of times it is an opportunity for a pitcher to throw to a batter and make sure he gets the full at-bat in. It's not really worried about getting three outs per half inning. It's just sometimes if they're worried about the pitcher, then it's him getting 15 to 20 pitches or something like that. If it's Mm -hmm. the hitter, then it's him getting a full at bat. And a lot of times they'll have guys strike out and continue the at bat a couple more swings or a pitcher might throw four balls and he's supposed to walk, but they'll continue the at bat so that the the batter can get in some swings. 
you know, in the strike zone for what he is looking for. So, gotcha. um, you know, it, it's, uh, I guess that you got to see a little bit of what it's like in spring training because a lot of times they, you know, they would wave off innings after after a pitcher would get to 20 pitches or something like that. You'd, you have a signal from the manager to the other manager, okay, we've had enough. You know, you saw that a few times in the spring where someone, yeah, either the Mets or the Nats hit a three-run homer and they would just call that inning because the, the they didn't want the, the pitcher to blow out his arm or, or, or abuse his arm in, in a situation where they don't need to. That's not what spring training is for. But it's not a full nine innings sim game. But, you know, sometimes they'll have sim games, Richard, where, you know, they said Juan Soto had five at-bats. He might have two at-bats in one inning, you mm-hmm. know, just because they want to get him through and get, get him as many pitches as he possibly can. So it's not a nine-inning game. It's not a three-and-a-half-hour game. But – Sometimes if they want Juan Soto, they want to see him hit, he'll get two at-bats in an inning, and, that, and that's you know a simulation that they're looking to, to try to achieve. Gotcha. Well, thank you for the, for the, for the info on that one. Um, I want to return a, back to third base. Um, I don't think that you know, we can have a discussion without talking about the Carter Key Room. I'm sure that he doesn't want to be, talking, be talked about. Um, I, I, I personally feel that, like, this experiment was kind of messed up. Like it just didn't work and that's okay. And like, it's time to, you know, not cut bait, but just like pivot and do something else. What are, what are like, what's your overall thoughts on the third base situation? Yeah. I mean, it's a a frustrating experience uh, for Carter. It's frustrating for the nationals, Mike Rizzo, what they were hoping to see from him, you know, there's a lot of pressure put on him because of what Anthony Rendon is one of the best hitters (laughs) And mm-hmm. one of the best uh, third basemen uh, in Major League Baseball, and it's a lot of pressure to be put on on Carter, who had never done that before. Obviously, he had had, had some success at the minor league level, and you know you're getting to a, a situation now where you know they just deemed that he was not ready to start the season, and they just uh, at the major league level they did not want to go through a situation where he got into a huge slump in April, when and. You know, the team always kind of thinks about 19 and 31. They don't want that to happen. Again, they want to at least keep pace early on in the season. And if they're going to be able to do that, they're going to have to have uh, comp- contributions from every person in the lineup. It can't, it can't just be a couple guys that are doing things. And then all of a sudden you get to that third base slot in the starting lineup and that guy cannot hit. So I'm surprised a little bit that they didn't bring in some other veterans uh, for spring training. Mm-hmm. But then Mike Rizzo might argue, well, that's what Hernan Perez and Jordy Mercer were and are, and they can do that. And they're they're not uh, incredible hitters. They're, Perez is two fifty two for his career. Mercer's two fifty seven, but that's better than one fifty, unfortunately, than what you're getting from Carter Keboom. So Keboom is going to get a lot of more uh, at bats at Rochester, and that's I, I think we've already tried that. He's already done that once, but he is a young guy, so you know they're going to still remain optimistic with him and hopefully that he can get going and figure things out at the plate. And, you know, judging by listening to him in the zoom call, he's remaining positive himself. He's working extremely hard to try to get into that rhythm so that he he can uh, have more quality at bats and make better contact. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what they're going to hope for in Rochester and see what he can do. But yeah, it's, it's not a comfortable situation right now because, you know, they cannot wait around forever. And so they're going to have to make a decision, you know, this season probably what they're going to do uh, with Carter if it doesn't work out. 
Do you think that the Lucas Giolito um, situation is like in the back of Mike Rizzo's mind of like, oh man, I don't want to sell low on this uh, prospect, but you know, we need, we need somebody, you know, like, do you feel like that plays somewhat into it? Or do you feel like Mike Rizzo is more like, okay, that was a different situation. I need to focus on this situation. Well, that's interesting to pose it that way. If you look at it, what a pitcher can do versus what a player who hits, uh, you know, can do or plays the field. Uh, I, I think when he made that trade to get Adam Eaton back in, I think, what was it? 2016, I believe, mm-hmm. or something like that, or 2015. Um, you know, he knew that that part of the outfield and leadoff spot and an outfielder that could do what Adam Eaton does was a weakness on this team. And, when he was calling around to find teams that were interested, the White Sox were interested, but they wanted what Mike Rizzo had built up. And at that point, it was, you know, the pitching staff in the minor leagues, which is what he is trying to do with some of the guys that you've talked to, like Jackson Rutledge and Kate Cavalli and Mason Denneberg. He's trying to build that back up again because that's a pretty coveted commodity to have. And unfortunately, you know, in that situation, he had to give up some, some guys that were good or could be good. And, and, and Giolito had struggled a little bit with the Nats, but obviously he figured it out mm-hmm. with the Chicago White Sox. His potential finally met what they were hoping it would be, but he had not shown that killer instinct with the Nationals that he now shows with Chicago, and maybe that comes from all the experience he had and you know some of the coaching he got or whatever. He had that potential, but he just didn't show it with the Nats, and then Ronaldo Lopez is pretty good. Dane Dunning was pretty good, so that's what I – the you know this trade they had to make he did not show it unfortunately with the Nats now unfortunately with the Nats now could that happen with Carter Keboom if you go forward and and they trade him or something like that absolutely that could happen because he has the tools and he's still young at 23 to figure it out and that's what they're hoping for in Rochester is that he will figure it out and they can bring him up at some time this during the season and that will add depth but yes, absolutely. There's always a possibility that something like that's going to happen, whether it's a starting pitcher or whether it's a guy at third base. Yeah, I'm just like, to be honest with you, I'm just excited to see baseball again. I mean, like, it's been a long time for me um, to see baseball. I can't wait to go in person. Are you um, like planning on going to any games or like what? It, like, what's your what's your COVID level feeling? <laughs> <laughs> Well, obviously, you know what happened with me. So, uh, you know, from a day-to-day standpoint, I, I'm kind of trying to figure out what, I, what I'm what i going to do. I'm definitely going to be there for opening night. And and because of this, you know, the situation with the minor leagues being so close with Fredericksburg and Wilmington and Harrisburg close, and, mm-hmm. you know, might consider to check out and see if they have Jackson Rutledge and Kate Cavalli and Mason Denneberg and some of those guys close by. And so I can go check some of those guys out and, you know, write about those guys because not many people will, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm just hoping you mentioned COVID. I don't know what the, the media situations will be in the minor leagues, you know, reading some of the, the Twitter stuff today, the play-by-play guys are not going to be traveling with the minor league teams and, the, and play-by-play guys are usually the media guys for the teams. Mm-hmm. So, you know, would I be even allowed to go to some of these venues? So that'll be pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, just still kind of deciding, how many games I will cover with the Nationals at home. If I can get a regular gig again, then that will be every day. But, uh, you know, right now, I think I'm going to try to focus on something that somebody's not doing. You know, there are a lot of guys that are writing and gals 
that are writing about the nationals at the top level. So maybe, mm-hmm. you know, where I built my, my cachet and my niche was at the minor league level. If I could get into those uh, situations, get where I'm allowed to go to those games, you know, I could do something that other people aren't doing and, and, and cover some of these prospects. Cause I know you want to know what those guys are doing. And, and I know fans for the Nats want to know what those guys are doing because they're going to be the future of the Nats and, you know, be fun to see, see those guys play and see what they can do at the minor league level. But that doesn't start till May. So uh-huh. what also is interesting, Richard, is there's going to be some games between the Orioles and Nationals and other teams like in Bowie and in Fredericksburg at the alternate sites, I believe, with all these other players that are going to be kind of waiting there. So that'll be interesting. So, you know, I wonder if those will be allowed to be covered, too. Um, as we get ready for the season. Do you have any predictions that you would want to share for, for the, for the listeners? Um, You know, who do you think wins the NL East? Who do you think wins (laughs) the NL world series? What are you putting your money on? Yeah. I mean, I think the Dodgers obviously it's a ridiculous uh, team and I would, they would be my odds on favorite to repeat because they have so much talent. They add Trevor Bauer. And I mean, David Price is fighting for the, for the fifth spot. I mean, it's just insane the amount of talent they have on that team. Uh, so they would be the, the team to beat. Um, you know, I still, I go back and forth, but I, I kind of feel like the Atlanta Braves are still the team to beat, even though the Mets are kind of everybody's pick in the NL East. And, and, you know, the positive, the most optimistic, I think, is, is for the Nationals, be battling for a wild card spot as they did in in 2019 if they can get you know around i believe they would finish third place but if they can battle for second place that would be pretty cool if if everything goes right so that's what i would figure is probably braves mets and the nationals is what i would think in the nl east i'll take a i'll take a wild card game again i need there you go (laughs) anytime you just want to see baseball but heck a wild card game would be awesome too yeah um Byron, it was such a great time talking to you. I wish we had more time, um, but I've definitely loved listening to your podcast. Um, I always, you know, support you. You're a great reporter. Anything that we could ever do to help you, please uh, <laughs> feel free to jump on and let me know. Well, that means a lot to me, Richard. I, I appreciate that. Appreciate that very much. And it'll be exciting to see, you know, a real season. Hopefully, we can play 162 plus some playoff games and and uh, you know get Nationals baseball back to where everybody wants it to be so people can have a wonderful summer and thanks for having me on oh of course and um i'm so pumped to go back to the stadium i'm gonna get my benj chili bowl hot um, <laughs> half smoke and have it ready there you go that sounds delicious right now i know right <laughs> all right thank you so much thank you